Join us this week for part one of a two-part series where we discuss what is the cult of domesticity, feminism, and the dissolution of the nuclear family. This week we are covering the cult of domesticity and the first and second waves of feminism and our opinions about them. So it's time to lock the bathroom door, pour a glass of wine, and take a deep breath. Welcome to the 80s Mom Podcast. Hey, Cecily. Hello, Ray. We are in person. How weird is this? Very. (laughs) (laughs) We are at Studio Grandma called the Kitchen Table at my grandma's house this week. And a lovely studio it is. It's a very lovely studio. Thank you, Grandma. Thank you. (laughs) So, this week we're discussing... The cult of domesticity and the beginning of feminism for reasons that are not going to be quite obvious, maybe. Because I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about the cult of domesticity in a bad view. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think this is right. Like, why, why are we less because we're stay at home moms? What makes, what is so wrong? about that, so I've been doing some research. And you've at least seen my comments on the research I've been doing. Yes, and I tried to read the research, and it it was just too much like taking history in college all over again. And and I didn't like that particular professor, so I I just didn't kind of read all that much of it. That's okay. (laughs) I boiled it down for you anyway. Yes. Which is great, because I was raging yesterday pretty bad about a lot of the stuff I was reading. One thing I really liked, um, one of the articles mentioned Proverbs 31, which... I love that. I know. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not. No. She has way more energy than I do. <laughs> the virtuous wife does? She has so much more energy. Yes. Uh, energy is a thing. I would like more energy. So, for those of you who haven't heard it, I'm going to attempt to read this out loud, and I suck at reading out loud, so you're going to have to bear with me. (laughs) So, the virtuous wife proverb goes, Who can find a virtuous wife, for her worth is far more than rubies? The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. I say, as Cecily is sewing over here. Because, yes, we do. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds, her, she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She proceeds. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hands to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in times to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit, give her the fruit of her hands, and she will let her own works praise her at the gates. Says the pagan. Yeah, I I don't have that energy. I do most of those things. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I am not claiming to have a clean house. I am a stay-at-home mom. (laughs) Ain't nobody got time for that. 
I do my best. She does have maidservants. She is one lucky mom. She is. My maidservant is four and often forgets what she's doing on her way to go do it. Yes. One of my Facebook memories that came up today was me telling Beatrix that she needed socks and her running down to her room and coming back with a dust pin, a dust broom and saying, Mommy, what would you like me to paint? And I said, B, you're getting socks. Oh, I forgot and ran back down and came back with a pink dust pin and said, I am making everything pink. And I said, socks. <laughs> and she ran back down to her room and I just sat in the front room yelling helpful things like it's 906 and socks and we need to get ready for church <laughs> and eventually she came back with socks but yeah she's she's not necessarily all that helpful <laughs> it's like xandria we need to go no like we need to go now shoes she runs off to her room she comes back with the dog shoes <laughs> she runs back to her room she comes back with her gadson flag Xandria, you cannot put those on your feet. Please go find your shoes. <laughs> like, small child, which I often call her when exasperated, what are you doing with yourself? You need things on your feet. Yeah. We have to go to the chiropractor. He's 15 minutes away and we are going to be late. Please put shoes on your feet. Or clothes. Oh my gosh, the things with clothes are great too. It's like, you need to change your clothes. An hour later, clothes. you either have a child still in the original clothes or naked. Yes. <laughs> At least when they're naked, you're like, well, that's one step in the right direction. Yes. All consistent. Yes. I told uh, Patrick to go get dressed once and he came back in socks. <laughs> okay, now another article of clothing. <laughs> Underwear would be a good start here. Yeah, yeah. Socks, socks don't don't really count as dress. No, pants, Patrick. Underwear, please. We're not nudists. You, you, you need you need clothes. I was talking to a friend this week, and she said she had been breastfeeding at Thanksgiving, and like everybody was cool with it. One of the uncles walked past, he goes, oh, I didn't know that was going on, and continued walking out to the porch <laughs> to have a cigarette. But her mother and father-in-law were, like, appalled. I said, next time, you should just show up topless and tell them you've become a nudist. That would be hilarious. <laughs> like, if you have a problem with one boob, I will show you, you both. Have two. <laughs> two for the price of one. Boobs. However many I have. I also told her, I said, um. Until Xandria was three or four months old, I swear I never wore a shirt. I'm like, what's the point? Yes. <laughs> I constantly have this attachment. <laughs> so I wore like a bathroom. I didn't have a shirt. I cared. People came over and I'm like, before you come over, you should know I'm topless. <laughs> if you're not okay with that, I'll see you in a few months. Because <laughs> this is just a thing right now. Not much I can do this about it. This is existence. This is existence. Because I'm a good mommy. Not that, you know, my sister-in-law had to formula feed. She tried so hard. And she just, she had so many issues. So this is not against formula feeding moms. I think, I think uh, breast milk is better than formula. But sometimes these are just the things that we have to deal with. And sometimes you don't get perfection. You get, this is what I have to do right now. Yes. Sometimes formula just saves the yeah. It did that with Patrick. One less thing to worry about. Oh, you had so many things to worry about with Patrick, which we've talked about before. Because he was in the NICU. You, yeah. you, there was a joke he's going to go to college from the NICU at yes. one point. Like, micropremies are something else entirely. I don't know how you managed it with B. I mean, you did, but oh my goodness, how you did is beyond me. Well, that's because there was, like, absolutely nothing wrong with her other than size. She was basically just, like, the smallest 33-weeker 30, you'd ever see. But she's also the smallest 8-year-old I've ever seen. True. keep having to correct myself for birthdays not until next month, I think. Yes. Yes. Because Andrews is right after. Like, really closely after, but she's not until February. I should do something for their birthdays. 
we should do something for their birthdays. Maybe we could have you guys come down. That would be fun. They can, you know, go harass the chickens. Yes. Not that the chickens want to be harassed much. It's going to be really cold. But they could jump on the trampoline in the snow. B would love to see your chickens. Everybody loves to see my chickens. If she's lucky, I might be able to catch one and she could pet the chickens. They're not exactly domestic chickens. <laughs> They're pretty feral. But if there's one sitting on a nest, they often get picked up by me. I don't like it very much. But the, the hens are chill, and by then we probably won't have car alarm. He's going to freezer camp. His crowing incessantly at 4 a.m. is going to get us in trouble with the neighbors. Oh, yeah. It's just part of having chickens. I mean, he is a good chicken. I will be slightly sad, but I will still eat him. He is a pet, but he is not a pet. He is a yummy pet. He is a yummy pet. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's a good rooster, but he just won't shut up. So, the cult of domesticity, which I wish I could have found a more positive name. Actually, I did. It's called True Womanhood, oh. which I actually like better because I don't think we're a cult. No, not really. No, and I think cult, I I don't think of housewives. Unless they're running an MLM party. Well, or, you know, we're all wearing very long clothing and have our hair up. You say that like there's something wrong with that. Well, no, but when it's like 90 degrees out. I I do that in 90 degree weather. I saw a family checking out ahead of me at County Market once, and it was... Oh my gosh, it was so hot and so miserable. And they all, mom and daughters, had long hair, not up, long sleeves, and long skirts. Yeah, I was looking at them. Were they Amish, Mennonite, or Muslim? No, none of the above. Oh, weird. They were Pentecostal. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I can do the long hair. But it's going to be up. I yes. can't. With the correct layering, the long sleeves actually aren't as much of an issue. I've been known to wear long sleeves in 90 degree weather. Wow. It doesn't happen often, but it does in fact happen. But I often have, you know, like three under layers. And the thing about that is if you get too hot, you have multiple layers underneath. You can, in fact, remove before you become indecent in public. Well, yeah. Like right now, I'm wearing two layers. I wear short sleeves year round. So yeah, that that will be fine. My uh, I have discovered my fashion as an adult, and it is apparently plaid button-down shirts and sleeveless undershirts. I feel like I look put together, even though I am the hot mess mom. <laughs> and I often have my hair pinned up on top of my head as a modesty thing. Which at one point soon we'll have a podcast about conservative clothing because I think we both tend to dress pretty conservatively. Yep. Cecily has a dress, has a skirt on. She always has a skirt on. Have well, I ever seen you in pants? I I own two pairs of pants now. Wow. Yeah. I need more skirts. Pants just aren't comfy. I don't know how men wear them when they actually have stuff down there. I have nothing down there, and they're not comfy. So, me and Jason talked about that the other day. About how odd I thought it was to have parts of you on the outside where it's kind of... I'm like, that is the funniest thing ever. To have just... It was out there. Yeah. Blowing in the wind, as it were. Yeah, when it gets cold, I, I tend to add another skirt under the longest skirt I have. Yeah, and we'll talk about that a little bit in here. It falls under the key values of domesticity a little bit. The first value of domesticity is piety, which I think we both have, although we're on vastly different spectrums <laughs> as far as that goes, because you are Greek Orthodox, yes. which is obviously Christian, which is more what this is about, and I am Norse pagan. Like, you walk into my house and you know we're Norse pagan. It's really obvious. But... I would think we're both pious. It's it's different. I try. It's it's really not as different as it sounds like it would be. But it, it can be considered different. I like to say that I am the Saxon woman married to a Viking because uh ha, 
It was not so much rape and pillage and kidnap the Saxon women as them jumping on the boat saying, yes, please take me with yes. you. you. You bathe. Yes. Vikings bathed. Also, yes. their women had a lot of rights that the Saxons did not have. They're like, no, take me with you. I will happily go with you. So they like to say that um, if a woman was pious, all else would follow. I wish my piety cleaned my house, but you know, it's what it is. Uh, I made a comment here. It says, um, religiosity is a sign of virtue because it puts something higher than yourself. That's important. Well, and that's also, um, it's either in line of Aristotle or Socrates that in order to be a better person, you need to have things that are higher than you. Like, I am keto. I'm also gluten, right now I'm just gluten-free, but I'm also gluten-free, which means I give up food that I would rather have. Now, I have good reason for it, but it makes life a little harder, and the willpower to do that in general can make you a better person because you are keeping yourself more contained than, wee, I'm going to eat Fritos and ice cream. Yeah, actually, that's kind of funny, because we're at the Advent Fast right now, and that's, like, the whole reason why it exists. Well, in Lent, which is way more serious. Yeah. But, you know, the idea is if you can practice saying no to yourself when it's, you know, cheeseburgers and ice cream, then it'll be easier to say no to yourself when it's, well, but no one would know kind of stuff. Yeah. Jason did, um... Two years ago, I think it was, he did a Lenten fast where he fasted for, he only made it the first week, but he fasted six days in a row. Like a true fast. Like not eating? Water only. Wow. That's under a doctor's supervision. I was going to say, that's like not. He had permission from his doctor to do that. It can be for things like Lent where you're eating like one day a week, it's okay. You can't just do that forever. Breathinarians are not a thing. Those people just die. You have to eat, but I don't necessarily recommend doing, I mean, you know, I fast, generally speaking. Yeah. And I always say I don't recommend doing longer than 12 hours if you're for, if you're new at it, and I don't recommend doing multi-day fasts unless you've talked to your doctor, because it's not necessarily easy on you, but it is yeah. doable, and it's not detrimental, generally speaking. Well, and when I say fasting, I mean no meat, no dairy. Yeah, well, there are different kinds of fasting. Yeah. The fasting before you have a surgery is called a dry fast. Yeah. Because you can't even have water. I had that earlier this year. That was fun. Usually I have what I call, generally a water fast is also a dry fast, but um, I call them water fasting where all I do is drink water. And I gotta start back on that next week. My body is such a mess from all of this crap I've been eating. It's just insane. Hello, Thanksgiving and Christmas season. Yes. Having said that, I talked to my rheumatologist. Apparently, earlier this year, like six or nine months ago, I was at 250 and I'm down to 214, even with the Thanksgiving weight. So, improvement. Yes. I didn't realize I had been that high. Apparently I had been, and I forgot about it for good reason, I assume. Yes. I don't want to admit being that heavy. I don't like being as heavy as I am now. Most of this is inflammation because of all the soda. So the second virtue is purity, which is keeping yourself pure for your husband. And it was held in the highest esteem. And losing your virginity before marriage made you a fallen woman. If someone did. Yeah. A lot of people got married already. Yeah, that but, was a thing. Yeah. It's still it was a thing. also that, you know, it was someone you were already planning on marrying. Yeah. Women were considered the stronger and purer sex. Because men would just follow temptation where it led them, whereas we could fight it off, they say. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that. Gotta love the feminist ideal of instead of making men behave more like, you know, us and keep their pants on, let's just be as bad as them. And that's progress. (laughs) Well, my aside on that note was, uh, 
Of course, these are the people who like to pierce their nipples for fun. That yes. was a thing in Victorian that, that times. That is so weird. Like, yeah. they, you'll, you'll find very few papers Why? about it because it seems like something that wouldn't happen because these are the people who put skirts on their tables in fear that men would see table legs and get aroused. So, but it was true fact. It was a thing that Victorians had a trend where everybody was piercing their nipples, which sounds great in Victorian England and America. That sounds sounds so sanitary. Yeah. Well, and I imagine it's something that people didn't really talk about. You would think not. They also drank a lot, though, so you don't don't know. Yeah. Somebody talked about it, because I've read about it before, and threads of, like, historical things that you don't think would actually be a thing. Yes. It was a thing. So I also have, I will have links to all of my resources. I'm quoting some of them here. In the 19th century, any form of social change was tantamount to an attack on women's virtue. For example, dress reform seemed innocuous enough and the bloomers worn by ladies of that name and her followers, I think it's talking about Miss Stanton, but I'm not positive here, were certainly modest attire. Such was the reasoning of only the ignorant. In an issue of Ladies' Wreath, a young lady is represented in a dialogue with her quote-unquote professor. The lady expresses admiration for the bloomer's costume. It gives freedom of motion, is healthful, and attractive. The professor sets her right. Trousers, he explains, are only one of the many manifestations of that wild spirit of socialism, agrarian radicalism, which is present so ripe in our land. In other words, it's immodest, I think. But all men were. Yes, they did. Well, this is not exactly true in medieval times. Men often did not wear pants. In the Middle East, men often did not wear pants either. Or in India. Yeah. It seems like anywhere it was hot. (laughs) Yeah. If it was hot, you wanted to breathe. And I've got to say, while pants are useful, I prefer skirts, like knee length and longer, like you're wearing right now. Although I do not own many pairs, I am a culprit of the cult of the legging. I do like leggings. But to anyone who says you cannot be athletic in a skirt, (laughs) you should see my child climb a tree. Yep, ditto. Yeah. You can, in fact, be athletic and wear a skirt women often wear. Now, Victorian middle class and high middle class women were not. I think Peggy Fleming wore long skirts when she was ice skating. Oh, that's possible. It is totally doable. They also thought that marriage would lead to happiness. I think, I don't know about happiness so much because I always think of happiness as a very chaotic emotion. Because when you're when you're super 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 happy, you make all kinds of impulsive decisions, which can be detrimental. Oh. That's a very Petersonian, Doctor uh, Jordan Peterson thing. Because if you think about it, as moms, our job isn't to make our children more happy. Yeah, <laughs> it's to make them less happy. You are be- you are being far too exuberant. I need you to sit down and calm down. <laughs> Not please jump higher on the couch. True. Because you lose your ability to handle impulse when you're super happy. I think of happiness as only existing in comparison to other states. So, I mean, you can't be happy all the time or it's not... I mean, if you never see dark, you don't know what light is. We talked about that with the Buddha before, where... He left his Garden of Eden because he was raised in, like, pure pleasure and wanted to help other people when he saw, like, lovers and stuff like that because he was like, I want some conflict. People like to have conflict. Yeah. Not always, like, massive, horrendous shouting matches. But fighting back against something. Having a problem to fix. Yeah. And I don't think of happiness so much. I think what they may have meant is contentment, which is kind of the form of happy that I like. Just being kind of content with my life, not being, like, 
let's jump around and be super excited all the time, which isn't what I feel very often. But I often feel content. I am content in my marriage, and I love my husband. And I have. I am mostly a virtuous woman, although I don't know that the um, next value of submissiveness necessarily applies. I am not saying that I am, like, dominant, but I'm also not like, yes, honey, anything you say, honey, or at least not all the time, because that's boring, and there are often things I don't want to do, and I am... I am my own person, and I think even these women were their own people. I don't. Yeah. It may have been more submission in public. I mean, and these, to be fair, are like the paragon of what you strive for, not how you live all the time because humans are humans. Not how life actually works. Right. So submissiveness was considered the highest virtue of a woman if for no other reason than men came first in the Bible. And should be first in society for the ah! sake of good order, at least. <laughs> That's funny. That's what it said when I was reading this article. I was like, well, I guess for the sake of good order, at least. I mean, that is what the Bible says. I mean, even in the Norse religion, the man came first. It's just kind of a... Also, but it's pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> Also, I have scissors and teeth. Well, so do I. I just don't have it. Don't do that. You'll wreck your teeth. Got Cecily over here cutting thread with her teeth. This well, is how people chip their teeth. teeth. <laughs> my teeth are crazy. Let's make them worse. In The Lady's Companion, a, lo- a young wife was quoted approvingly. As she said, she did not think women should feel and act for herself because when, next to God, her husband is not the tribunal to which her heart and intellect appeals, the golden bowl of affection is broken. So I said, I think this is true. If you and your husband are not of an accord, that is to say, at least mostly of the same mind, I don't know if a marriage will last. Like, me and Jason don't agree on everything, but, like, our core principles... Like parenting and how we raise children and homeschooling, even our politics in general, they're all very um, much in sync with each other. That doesn't mean on like other things we don't disagree. I like Star Trek and he likes Star Wars. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) He likes to play D&D and I can't get into it. So it's not like we agree on everything. I think it's more a core principle. Yeah, the important stuff. Yeah, because you want to have somebody you can have conflict with, because if you have a marriage where everything goes perfectly, at some point, one or the other, you will get very, very bored. Well, and I think the the old adage about never fighting in front of your children is not entirely a good idea, because people interpret it as never disagreeing with each other in front of their children. And that's how you get children who think that marriages are supposed to be all easy. And it, no, marriage is not supposed to be easy. Have conflict. They think, oh, this isn't working. We should divorce. And it's like, no, you need to be able to see that people can disagree with each other and still love each other, respect each other, and work together. Yeah. This isn't easy. It is work. We have a job. Our job is our marriage and our kids. And it's a large job. Yeah. I was saying earlier, you know. All the people who are like, must be nice. Well, no. You know, 365, 24-7, and no sick days. Yeah. I think the last sick day I actually had was when Xandria was a really little baby, and I got so dizzy I could not even change her diaper. And Jason had to come home from work because I was incapable. I was just sick. I don't know exactly what happened. I don't remember, but I was just sick. And it was just not fun. So a quote I pulled out that I really liked was, A really sensible woman feels her dependence. She does what she can, but she is com- she is conscious of her inferiority, which I don't necessarily agree with, no. but, in their- but therefore grateful of her support. Like, me and you, we are reliant on our husbands. Yes. Because they bring home the bacon and we cook it. Yes. And we know this. 
and we take that into account. So I am not saying that women are inferior. Yes, having a second pair. So much easier. Yes. I have only single parented when he was gone for like training or when his work had him travel for some reason. And each time I learned just how well I fare in the wild, which is not well at all. And when you're taking all of the children to county market at 10 o'clock at night because you're out of something, you really, 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 really wish you did not see that kid. And I don't know how. My mom refused to take us to the grocery store. There were three of us when she was a single mom, and she would not do it. I don't know. Which, in general, I don't blame her. I don't take Xandria to the store and do one of them. I mean, I do and I don't. With COVID going on, it's just too complicated, and I don't let her wear masks. So she stays home. Or she, she stays with Jason, or she stays with Jason's mom, which I'm lucky to have. But I think it is true that we feel our dependence. We know. But I think our husbands, to some degree, also feel their dependence because without us, who takes care of them? Yes, nothing would run. It, it, it runs smoother with two parents, I think. It does. Which is not to say that there aren't moms and dads who are single. Because there are. My dad was a single dad for a very, very long time. Yeah, it's like, but it's hard. It's it's the opposite. It's not oh well if you're a single parent. It's if you're a single parent, that's amazing. But there is no way I would be sane, and I cannot do that. I cannot do that now. But I planned my life to include having another person because I'm like I I can't do this on my own. I watched my mom do it, and that is impossible. So the final value of the cult of domesticity or true womanhood is domesticity. Ah. Ha! And it says here that um, St. Paul knew what was best for women when he advised them to be domestic, which you might know more of than I do, as I'm not overly familiar with the gospel. I don't remember the domestic thing quite as much as that everyone focuses on the wives respect your husbands. And they skip over the husbands be willing to die for your wives part, which is like the very next verse. I find that happens a lot with Bible stuff. Like people skip things. There is composure at home. There is something sedative in the duties which the home involves. It affords security not only from the world, but from the delusions and errors of every kind, which I think is true. I mean, I know that I'm at least a step or two back from everything, even with all the news and stuff I watch. And I find the more I try to get into that, the more stressed out as me or as a woman I am. Like, I don't... I'd rather my husband handle all of that stuff, to be completely honest. Yes. He can be stressed out about that stuff, and he can go out into the world and make the money. I want to stay home and raise our next generation to the best of my ability. Yes. I think that is important. And it's the only way anything changes. Mm-hmm. Which is something we will likely talk about. The young lady's class book was sure that domestic fireside is a great guardian of society against excesses of human passions. Even if we cannot reform the world in a moment, we can begin work by reforming ourselves and our households. Yes! It is a woman's mission. We raise the next generation. That is let, an awesome quote. Let her not look away from her own little family circle for the means of producing moral and social reforms, but begin at home. Which is what we very much do, which is why we run this podcast. Yeah. Because, I mean, I realize that this is not... You guys listening are not necessarily our home fireside circle. <laughs> we do change stuff that way. But... I find that to be more apt than going out and being actively political, I think. It doesn't actually change anything. No. I don't think. I think changing and molding our children is how you mold the next generation. I mean, look how insane things have been getting. Yes. I think there are multiple quotes from saints about um, not, not looking to 
the world, but praying for it instead. That, yeah. that are kind of along that line. You were telling me about saints and converting their captors earlier. <laughs> their, their captors. Yeah, their captors earlier. <laughs> Oftentimes when it's Saint so-and-so and the 30 martyred with him, when you track down the story, they were like other soldiers that went, uh, no, we're going with that guy. And got killed with him too. Yeah, and you said women saints were not by any means, the most domestic of people. No, they're frequently what they're known for is an exchange wherein they were arguing with a man. I mean, they, they, I don't think meek or mild describes any of the orthodox saints. One thing that bugs me about saints in more recent times, like in the West, is. At some point, they started emphasizing more the baby Jesus, meek and mild kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, well, he didn't come to be meek or mild, and he wasn't terribly either. And the person who went through a tantrum in the, uh, yeah, in the, that was one of whatever my that's called, where he, yeah, where he flips over the table. <laughs> that was one of my Where he completely choice. eats the table. Yes. <laughs> I'm yes. trying to think of what Throwing that area is called. Hitting people with whips was, you know, when people say, you know, what would Jesus do? Remember that throwing furniture and whipping people is an acceptable act. Uh, is, yeah. is a funny meme. It's, it's not, but, you know. <laughs> Another quote I pulled out was, no, let the men take care of politics. We will take care of our children. Again, female discontent resulted only from a lack of understanding. Women were not subservient. They were rather the chosen vessels. Yeah, it's way more complicated than that. And I have no idea. Well, I mean, I have limited ideas mainly from history classes. Yeah. But I don't know about Western Christianity all that much in the last, like, 200 years, 300 years. Since Protestantism, let's say. Yeah. Post-Luther, I don't know, whatever. But our priest has given several sermons, many sermons, about how sometimes people look at, well, mainly older churches, and like Catholic and Orthodox, and say, well, you know, they were so oppressive to women. And it's like, well, no, you're, you're not understanding anything, because... We have lots of female saints that are equal to the male apostles. A lot of whom were rulers. You know, they they weren't a quiet domestic housewife. They were a queen or an empress or, you know, the wife of a powerful official or something. And, you know, it might be true that only men are priests, but it's also true that only a woman could be the actual literal mother of God. And I don't think of our female saints as being meek or mild. I think of them as, you know, standing up in public and saying things that were unpopular and being willing to die for that. Yeah. And, you know, not bending. Joan of Arc is probably the only female saint I'm very familiar with, and she certainly was not meek or mild. Yeah. Yeah. Because my Christian knowledge goes so far and no further because, obviously, I've never been Christian. I'm not (laughs) now Christian. I am very pagan. I mean, you want to talk about warrior women, you talk about Boudicca. Yeah. I mean, and she only did that because they went, the Romans went and killed her husband. Yes. And then raped her daughters. And then out came Mama Bear. Yes, understandably. And she took an exception to that. Yeah, right. So now we're going to give a definition. And I'm not reading this definition. I am just giving it to you because we're going to start talking about feminism. And I want to be clear about our ABCs here. A woman is an adult human female born with all of the accoutrement that come naturally. Well, yeah. I just want to be clear. Especially next week. And I'll have to do that again next week because next week it gets really confusing. Yeah. At least the first and second wave I can kind of make sense of, but the third and fourth wave that I've been researching, I I talked to you and I talked to her. Yeah, I talked to you and I talked to my 
our guest next week. And we're all like, I, what? Do you, are those words supposed to make sense? I had to look up intersectional some time ago because I had to do that I, yesterday. I was, like, was so confused. And it's like, because I have a baseline knowledge, like I can read it in a sentence and make it make sense, but I was like, what is this actually? What are they talking about? about? Which doesn't mean I am anti-LBGTQ, because I'm not. I just didn't understand. And while I now understand, I still have opinions, but we're not getting to that today. So, we will give basic bullet points that I was able to pull out on the first and second wave of feminism and our opinions as they come up. I mean, this is pretty much how we go anyway. Yeah. At least on topics where we're not talking about ourselves and our experience. Yeah. So the first wave of feminism began during the 17th and 18th centuries, though it had been going on, on and off, since much earlier. That I found some articles on like medieval feminism, and I didn't look into it, because at that point, you start having, at least in period, because I do medieval reenactment, you start having a breakdown of trying to track stuff and getting concrete sources, so I did not, I just, yeah. we are, for, for the sake of what we're talking about, we're just tossing that out the window, and... Because we don't, you don't know how much of that is historic um, revisionism, which is a big thing right now. So I don't even want to deal with trying to track that stuff down. So the Seneca Convention was in 1844, and it was organized to discuss social, civil, religious, and the rights of women, especially property rights, which they did not have. Yeah. And out of those, I agree most, I think, with property rights. Yeah. It makes sense that, you know, if your husband divorces you, you should be able to keep property and your children. Yes. And they made great leaps in that um, in the first and second wave. These women didn't like to be considered different than men in terms of rights. And I both agree and disagree with that. I have certain, which we've talked about in the past, I have certain uh, disagreements, but it is what it is. Elizabeth Staunton and Susan B. Anthony, which Whitney, you're marking that, we'll talk about that in a second, you were just telling me about that, started a newspaper called The Revolution in 1868 to help launch the suffrage movement, suffragette movement. I always, every time I read suffragette, I think Mrs. Banks from <laughs> Yes. <laughs> which the writer did not like her being a suffragette when they made the movie, apparently. She took a great... <laughs> Oh, bridge to the fact that Walt Disney turned her into a suffragette. That's funny. I thought that was funny. I can't think of her name right now. It's just not coming to mind. Yeah, I, I don't remember. So what were you telling me about Susan B. Anthony? Well, I thought she was pretty cool. When I was in school, she was, you know, she was a huge deal. She was, like, considered the first, kind of. And... You know, everything that she wanted made sense. And lately, my husband, who pays way more attention to what's going on, was telling me that it wasn't the Google Doodle, but there was some other post commemorating Susan B. Anthony on some anniversary, either her birth or her death, or or like the anniversary of the Seneca Convention or something or other. And that today's feminists were up in arms about that because she was considered very regressive nowadays. And I don't know why. That's stupid. Apart from she did consider abortion to be part of the oppression of women because you were requiring them to kill their offspring. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, other than that, I have no idea because I have long since given up trying to understand Anything. <laughs> I kind of feel like modern feminism is not feminism, but it's not. It's confusing and weird and not helpful. No, uh, maybe we will discuss that more. They considered the cult of domesticity or true womanhood, which I much prefer, as repressive to women, which I disagree with. I mean, we just talked about that at length. I don't think we need to rehash it. They considered voting to be the most important role, which, of course, they did achieve eventually in 1920, I think. I didn't write it down because, to me, it's not important. But 
1918. 1918? I think. Somewhere in there. I don't know. Somewhere around. Yes. This is what we call baseline research. <laughs> like I said, I mean, they did it. You have the right to vote if you're in the U.S. I don't know yes. about our international listeners because they're there. Um, but somewhere between 1818 and, or I'm sorry, somewhere between 1918 and 1920, there <laughs> we got the right to vote. Yes. For better or for worse, depending on your opinion. They had a hard time at first getting a foothold because of how the Bible represented women. So they wrote their own women's Bible. It's called the Women's Bible. Yeah, I've never read that. I didn't know that was a thing. I'm terribly tempted to. It doesn't appeal to me, but I'm not Christian. So So the second wave of feminism began in 1960 and lasted through the early 80s. In the... Second, third, and fourth waves seem to happen in 10-year increments. Uh, That would be why I didn't realize there had been more waves. I didn't know there was a fourth wave, but there is. Started eight years ago, but I didn't know there was a thing. It focused more broadly on sexuality, including, like, reproductive rights, what you were talking about earlier. Instead of making the men more virtuous, let's go out and be like them. Yeah. Which doesn't Let's just show me. that we can be just as, you know, adulterous, etc. Yeah, I, I don't agree with that. They also focused on family, workplace, and general inequality, which is what it is. I mean, I, I'm not for or against these particular things. I think that... Well, we'll get in detail about them, too. It kind of depends who's talking about them and what they mean. A lot of things I find are far more nuanced than people like to pretend they are. Yes. You need scissors? Nope. I sorted it out. Just yarn being, I mean, thread being squirted. Beeswax helps a little bit. They also they brought attention to domestic violence and marital rape, which I agree with. I think that's important. Yeah. I do not agree with marital rape or domestic violence. I agree with bringing yes. light <laughs> to it. I don't want to be taken out of context here, which engendered the creation of crisis centers and women's shelters, which yeah. I think is important. And there's some stuff going on with women's shelters now with trans people that I that is really nuanced, and I can't give a black or white. Opinion yeah, on that because it's very much help. yeah. They're yeah. trans; you can't stick them in a men's shelter, no, and depending no. on how honest they are about being trans, you can stick them in a women's shelter, and it's a thing. And but this that stuff doesn't take place until later. This was seen as a delayed reaction to the return of domesticity in World War Two, which I actually had a thought about. World War II was when women went into the workplace. After World War II. Ah, uh, okay. When they went back home and you've got like the 50s housewife and leave it to Beaver. Ah, uh, okay. Father Knows Best and all of these things where the wives were at home and they were stay-at-home moms. And so I noticed that the waves of feminism tend to happen after periods, whether they're long or short. And like I said, they start happening in shorter intervals right now of domesticity perhaps engendered by the people who seem to miss out on the home life and fulfillment of being part of a nuclear family. These are my thoughts. It does seem like if your upbringing was happy, then I don't think you'd be wanting to change it. I mean, the whole reason why I planned all my life on you know, eventually being a stay-at-home mom, I might have had a job first, but, you know, after I had kids, obviously that's what I was going to do, is because that's what my mom did, and that just seemed like a good idea. It seems normal to you. Our, our home was happy. Of course, it complicated things, but instead of turning into my mother and marrying my father, I turned into my father and married my mother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a Freudian well, therapist it, could have all kinds yeah, of fun with that. Yeah. Well, uh, that's that's how my dad described it when we were in the wedding planning process. And he was 
frustrated about certain things, and it's a long story. <laughs> Eventually you'll have to tell it to me. Yes. Ah. Uh, since they... But the people who miss out on this or do not have it, since they do not have it, they assume no one wants it or nobody should have it. If I can't have it, I'm going to shit on it so nobody else can either. Well, and if you claim you have it, you must be lying because it doesn't actually exist. Yeah. That's, well, I that's like that's true womanhood. That is a goal we strive for, not something that we have. Yeah. But that's like a happy marriage. There's no such thing as a happy marriage. Well, there is, yeah, people but it's not perfect. People who say that have never seen one. Yeah. They didn't grow up with one, and they don't have one, and they don't actually know what that looks like. It took a lot of reprogramming for me to be where I am now, which we will definitely talk about next episode. Because we're going to talk about what brought us all to Tradcon, Mommy. So they make these waves, and they try to break apart a part of life they are not part of, which is what we're talking about. Like like I said, I can't have it. I'm going to shit on it. Nobody else can have it either. And if you have it, you're wrong and you're privileged. It, which is a lot of the articles I read about the cult of feminism was like, well, these weren't fair to working women and people of color. And I'm like, these people had it too, though. Yes. It's not that this is a white, upper, or just middle class woman. It's an ideal. Ideals are to be striven for. You don't get given ideals. I don't get given weight loss. Mm. You have to work for these things. It's definitely led to the disillusion of the traditional family in current times. And a lot of these people like to look down on those of us who stay at home moms as not pulling your weight or doing nothing all day. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. Or that we just can't keep a job. <laughs> Which, let me tell you what. Let, to, to quote my, uh, one of my favorite podcasts, Small Town Murder, let me tell you what. Ah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> This is a job. Isn't that an enjoyable job? We go on family vacations. You know who gets a vacation? Everybody but me. Yes. Vacations are not vacations. No. No, they're not. And you know, they just gloss past that we are truly the people who are building the next generation as most people within the feminine movement, the feminist movement, at least in my experience, they're childless or they're zero population growth, or they are just blatantly anti-child. Yeah. Yeah, there's a big difference between, personally, I don't really want to have kids, and if you are having lots of kids, you are killing the planet. Which is silly, because the population growth on the planet stagnated. Yes. We have far more old people than we have young people. I mean, look at, like, what our grandparents had. My great-grandma had eight kids. Those kids all had multiple kids, but not that many. And those kids, their kids had fewer kids. And then, like, I'm the only one out of my mom's five kids who even has kids. Wow. And we all range from 35 to 20. One of my sisters can't have children. The other one just blatantly will never have children. Um... The one under her just won't. And I know nothing about my brother, but... If the gods are kind, he won't have children. Mm. So the second wave feminist disliked women being considered the second sex. To which I say there are two sexes. Unpopular opinion. You have to count in some order. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's how counting works. Just because something is first doesn't mean that the second one is lesser. Just because B comes after A does not mean that you can get rid of it and still have a cohesive English language. Yes. And I get that people say there are more than two genders. We're just going with that for the moment. Yeah. yeah. I'm making a point. There are other, there are 26 other letters in the alphabet, too. Yes. We're not mentioning them right now, either. They did further maternity leave and child care to women in the workplace, which to me sounds, which to most people, sounds great. But it also separates a woman from her children starting at like six weeks of age. When are you going to be coming back to work? We need you to come back now. Can you come back sooner? 
your child needs at least three months of you. Just you. It is called the fourth trimester. Your baby is developing during this stage and just leaving them with anybody else is a bad idea for long periods of time. I'm sorry, it's a developmental thing. I am not yeah. saying that if you had to do that, that you're a bad person. Biology works a certain way and opinions don't matter. Yeah. And, you know, it can, if you have to do it, you can make it work. That doesn't mean that it's ideal. It's like formula. If you have to use it, you have to use it. That doesn't mean it's ideal. It's yeah. not ideal, but sometimes, like my sister-in-law, you just, it's it's what you have to do. Yeah. And it's okay. It can be okay, but doesn't mean it's ideal. It also sets the children and the family as a second priority to the mother and pushes her to stay with a career thinking she isn't enough of a person if she doesn't have a job. We are often looked down on because, oh, my dad said once, this is before we had Xander, because I was just a housewife. He goes, where are you getting a real job? Like, if me and my husband have no issue with this, why do you? Yeah. This is what we have chosen to be. And it's like, we're not enough if we're just a mom, because a mom is a lot of things. Saying the word mom covers a plethora of, you know, raising a children from, I can't move, to, at least now I can breastfeed, to, ooh, I can feed myself and crawl, I can walk, I can speak English. Have you ever tried teaching somebody from a different language to speak English? Because basically a baby is speaking something. Yes. It ain't English. My daughter half the time is speaking something. Don't know what it is. It ain't English. In fact, it's very important for a mom and a dad to be involved in raising their children. It's not something that should be left to a, dis a discompassionate entity such as the state or child care. Nobody is going to care for your children as well as you are. They're not theirs. They don't care. As much as they may want to, nobody will treat your children as well as you will. I remember when I nannied for a little girl who was about six months older than me, being so relieved when I could send her home at the end of the day was, oh my gosh. But, you know, if I had adopted a third kid, you know, obviously I, I would have made it work. Yeah. And we've talked about yeah. that to some extent, and I, I don't know. Right now, it would not be possible. I cannot handle... I need at least nine months leeway before I can handle another one. <laughs> I could not take on another child right now. I have my hands full. Yes. My daughter right now is in the back room playing ABC Mouse because we needed to do this. Yeah. And it's the middle of the day, and we don't usually record in the middle of the day. First day I was nannying, I called my mom and said, I know why God never gave me twins. And she said, why? And I said, because God doesn't give you things you can't handle. Because <laughs> I have twins. Oh, God. With entirely opposite personalities. Yeah. Yeah. I also think another facet of all of this is like how people look down at breastfeeding. If you are not breastfeeding, you're not as close to your baby. This is true. You, There was a connection between me and Xandria and that child. Maybe it may have been able to do wrong, but we have a very close relationship because of that. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you, mm -hmm. you're right. It's, it's not something that's substantiated. I can't word. It's not quantifiable. No, it's yeah. not quantifiable. But there, there is a difference. Like, other people can easily feed your baby, giving you distance from them, which you would not generally have as a breastfed parent. There was a time we were trying to get it so Xandria could stay with my mother-in-law. Now, she's little at this point. She's very little. She's past the third trimester, but still under a year old. And my mother-in-law went to, I left the room, and she went to feed her breast milk out of a bottle, and I literally felt like my child had died. Like, well... That, and that could be me, but I kind of think that's how a breastfed mom feels when other people do it. 
And no, your husband does not need to feed your baby. (laughs) It's more like a break for you. For me, it was like my child had just died. Like, I, it, it upset me really badly. And it could have been the postpartum. I am not saying it's the same for all moms. It's how it was for me. Yeah. But that's how strong that connection was. I mean, it was a very long time. Like, now I can just leave her here at Grandma's and go for a while, and I'm fine. She's fine. She's old enough. She can take care of herself. She's pretty self-sufficient, generally speaking. But, like, your partner, your husband does not need to feed your baby to have a connection with your child. There are other things they can do. That is a mothering thing. And I don't think anybody should ever feel pressured to, like, pump just so. Yeah. Because my mother-in-law tried to get us to do that, just pump so Jason could have that connection. And I'm like, he does not need that. Yeah, he could snuggle her other things. Yeah, he can change her diaper, he can play with her, he can do a lot of things. This is something I can do and only I can do, although there is um, a tribe of indigenous people, I think it's South America, where they're est- where they eat so much estrogen that the men actually can lactate. And the children are often left with the men because they can breastfeed them. It's a thing. It's a really they, weird... Why I, do they eat that has so much estrogen? I do not know, and I have no resources for this. I will try to get them by next week. Jason's talked about it before. We've talked about it. I don't think of estrogen as naturally occurring outside well, of soybeans. Oh, well, yeah. There, there are foods that are higher in estrogens, and whatever their diet is allows them to do that. So, for that culture, that is different. But we're yeah. also talking about a very... We're, we're very westernized, and we're talking about western culture. Yeah. And we're talking about, like, western history this week and next week. So, the last point I have for, sec- for second-wave feminism is they thought... Placing us in a home as housewives or stay-at-home moms limited our possibilities. And let me tell you that I don't think that's true at all. I don't think it's limited my stability. And since my grandma is asleep on the other end of the table, I will go ahead and... Nope, she's not. Okay. (laughs) I just got the death stare from my grandma. (laughs) I'm not asleep. You can't say the F word. Um... So I'm not going to because I respect my grandma because she's my grandma. So, first of all, a fat statement. (laughs) Being at home with my children does not limit my possibilities and raising the next generation does not limit or belittle me as a person. It raises me up to take the time to raise the next generation in my belief systems. Yeah. It's a pretty big job. It's a very big job. People are like, oh, that's nothing. A daycare worker can do it. Not as well as you can. I do not hand over the charge of my daughter to another person to take care of. I believe in myself and my ability to raise the next generation up better than the one before it. And that doesn't mean that people, that my grandma doesn't watch her when I run to the store or my mother-in-law doesn't watch her while I do grocery runs. It means that on a daily basis, she is not pawned off on somebody else to raise. I raise her, you raise yours. Although they're in public school now, but that's slightly different. Yeah. Well, and right now, public school is not public school. (laughs) No. Government school is at home on Zoom. Yes. I saw Butler's uh, sign in front of the school. School, it says, see you Zoom on it. I don't know if you've seen that. That is funny. That's adorable. That is funny. So, Cecily, any closing thoughts on today? Well, this is the feminism that I'm familiar with. And that that I can still see rationale for, you know, sort of. I mean, you can see rationale for something without agreeing with it. Yeah. I have no idea what we're going to talk about next week. Because I... Yeah. Didn't get that far. Well, well, no, and and that's stuff that's going to make me more annoyed. So I will try to read about it because oh, we're gonna have fun with it next week because we're gonna have somebody else with us. Yeah, we are going to be the holy trinity of moms next week. <laughs> and 
she warned me that I got her Irish up and that we will need um, explicit use of the bleep button. So, just for future warning, next week is going to be explicit because I don't bleep out anything. We are moms having candid conversations and it's going to be candid and it's going to be something else. Yeah. I think my concluding thoughts are at least the first two ways make some modicum of sense and rationality, even though I don't agree with it. Yeah, you can at least see where they're coming from. Yes. And Since I, then, they've gone nuts. Yeah, because I read about them, and let me tell you, is very much what? What? Makes no sense. So, if you liked our conversation today... <laughs> Please share our podcast. Please subscribe, review us on whatever platform you're listening to, because I don't use Apple I, Apple Podcasts, but if you're on there, that would be wonderful. You can find us on social media on MeWe as both a group and a page, and on Parlor that is eight, at 80SMomPodcast. We're on Pinterest as well, also 80SMomPodcast. We have a website, 80SMomPodcast.com, and... Please email us to tell us how right or wrong we are at show at 80smompodcast.com. I'm uploading to Odyssey and YouTube as soon as I get back home this evening because the internet up here is a little slower than mine and I couldn't get it done. But I have videos made for all of our backlogs so you can listen to them there as well. And with that, I'm Ray. I'm Cecily. And we hope you have an amazing week. Remember, you've got this. (laughs) 